0: funk with racism we don't funk with people who don't support the lgbtq plus community and baby we damn sure don't fuck with anybody who don't love a beautiful black queen baby you see this tape?
1: you don't let nobody act black and then go home and be white
0: it only takes a little bit of white brainwash to activate the cool chip
1: in the average negro
2: and a lot of white folk have demonstrated eloquently that they don't have no sense. What's up,
0: everybody? My name is Morgan Gray, and I would like to thank you guys for coming back and visiting me here at the Afrocentric Podcast. Woo! all right so the name of this episode is called round em up featuring jonathan cheeks
1: Yo, what's up everybody what's up everybody
0: yes 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 let's go ahead and get into it so we see the headlines everywhere and they're almost inescapable few police officers who cause deaths are charged or convicted the roman catholic church and pedophilia the story never ends january 6th hearing recap trump's attempted coup comes into focus What do these headlines have in common? Well, mostly white men who abuse their power and are rarely held accountable for them. The privilege yielded by powerful white men creates room for corruptibility, as well as the opportunity to avoid harsh sentencing. Join Jonathan and I as we discuss the black ways for the black community to hold white men accountable for their violence, bigotry, pilgriming, racism, and oppression that they have subjugated minorities to endure. Maybe it's time to round them up, Jonathan.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's definitely time to round them
0: up. I think it's time to throw away the key. Oh yeah,
1: big time. That's the sound of the police. That's the
2: yes,
1: sound of
0: Right, Jonathan, I'm going to go ahead and read your speaker bio. Um, just in case you forgot, his name is Jonathan Cheeks. Jonathan is a graduating senior in electrical engineering with a minor in African-American studies at the Mississippi State University, the world's greatest HBCU. <laughs> Jonathan was born and raised in Gluckstadt, Mississippi, and he served the Mississippi State body as the president of the National Society of Black Engineers, as well as the Society of African American Studies president. Growing up, Jonathan says, I didn't quite understand the struggles we faced being Black, and I didn't know who I was in regards to my Blackness. With that being said, I didn't come to college seeking that person. Because of a core group of intellectual Black students at this PWI, I was able to become conscious and find a desire to spread my few, ne- my newfound knowledge and experiences. Let's welcome Jonathan Cheeks.
1: You, what's up, everybody? How y'all doing? Woo, woo, woo. Really glad to be here. To
0: we we're, we're we're ready we're excited um i'm excited man oh yeah me too yeah um i'm excited to talk about um these rich and powerful and wealthy people and how they need to be put up under the jail
1: <laughs> Man, i'm telling you because it's it's crazy how much they actually have an influence in you know and the more you read the more you learn and as you guys listen to us tonight we can you know give you a little piece of that because it's only a little piece that we can actually cover in the amount of an hour
0: that's true but i promise you the piece we gonna give you gonna be the (laughs) centerpiece yes or unless you want the outside piece (laughs) it'll be a little crispy for you but we gonna give it to you all right y'all y'all stay tuned i've been on lockdown That's what you gotta do. Look, every time a man walked up to me and told me I was looking good, I clink, clink, I locked down on him. They want something. You gotta watch them little sneaky devil. They want something. All right, question number one. What is white privilege and white fragility?
1: So, um, white privilege. Now, I mean, a lot of us have heard the term thrown around, but I don't think many of us know the actual definition. So I have here that it's an inherent advantages possessed by a white person on the basis of their race in a society characterized by racial inequality and injustice. So I think we can tie that back to our own society, you know, our United States society as white privilege being built literally into the framework of our country. So from the, before the establishment of the constitution, before we won the revolutionary, before they won the revolutionary war, white privilege was built into that framework of this country we were not thought of we were an afterthought because we were essentially cattle we were property there was no thinking of us as being higher individuals so I mean how could we you know be categorized into this uh privilege of having you know access to land access to um loans access to you know shelter or out- our own
0: body the, autonomy
1: all of that so um that's the definition of white privilege for you as far as white fragility is concerned Discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted by information about racial inequality and injustice. So, um, Morgan, I I heard you had some examples of that. You want to share?
0: Yeah. So, white fragility um, is is exactly what it sounds like. It's examples of white people feeling sad or upset or defensive when we confront them about the racism and systemic systemic oppression that they have and their ancestors have put us as a community through. So um, one thing that is a result of white fragility is is going to be white flight and um, white flight. You can see white flight in the 1930s and 40s after the Great Depression when, um, America well, after the Emancipation Proclamation and black people were giving their right to be seen as equal people. So a lot of white people fled the South and they dispersed up north. Right. Mm-hmm. There was an example. That's an example of white flight. Yeah. And um, during the civil rights and after the Great Migration, you can also see it in modern times during the time of george floyd after um he was systemically murdered and brutally murdered by um a police officer where those white people fled the city because they felt some type of way about the inherent racism that either their co-workers family members neighbors have like put up on black people so yeah
1: yeah and that's something that you know wasn't even shown in the media, so you wouldn't know otherwise unless you, you know, taking a deep dive into some of these events that are happening. And I think we can also see it in um, how there's been, you know, such a backlash against um, critical race theory, Mm -hmm. because, you know, the argument is that teaching this information demonizes white folks. And honestly, I don't necessarily have a particular problem with that, because, you know, they have, you know, have had, you know, these this practice in the course of history to where they have wiped out entire civilizations. Mm-hmm. So to teach the information about slavery, to teach the information about how we were literally ripped from our motherland and brought to a, a foreign place to do the white man's work. Yeah, you, you could see how they would be demonized in that uh, accurate telling of what, you know, of that part of history
0: so um i definitely will attest to this now um very similarly to america germany went through its own personal holocaust so as a result to the holocaust germany actually was criticized heavily by europe and different parts of america so much so that they felt like an immense amount of shame for a long amount of time Mm -hmm. and they actually did not wave their flag um, during from the time that the Holocaust ended mm-hmm. up until I want to say the early 1990s when Germany participated in the American Olympics and oh, they man. won. Uh-huh. Yes, so they were in a great period of mourning and shame. Like They actually felt bad for the things that they did. Mm-hmm. Secondly, I will say that Germany gave the victims of the Holocaust and the um, survivors and the descendants of victims, they gave them reparations for the crimes that they committed oh, really? upon them. Yes, of course. Hmm. And then thirdly, they made sure to properly educate the people within the German education system about what actually happened during the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And like America, where they try to hide yeah. the things that they did to us as black people, they yeah. are very like honest and transparent about it. And they educate them properly so that their white people the majority group up in their country can actually empathize and understand why it is wrong. So I feel like Germany is a great example of why critical race theory is so important. Mm -hmm. I
1: totally agree.
0: Question number two, do you believe that historically white men have been held accountable for the monstrosities that they have committed on American soil?
1: Historically, no, absolutely not. I mean, um, we have so many different examples of white white supremacy just wrecking shop on different aspects of black life, whether it's social social um economic um emotional uh, mental i mean you, we have like ingrained in our in our like DNA the fact that you know, like for example homophobia mm mm-hmm was essentially kind of created and perpetuated from buck breaking
2: mm-hmm. in
1: the um, Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can see that to this day, like, like many black men, you know, hit a pause every time they say something or hide, mm-hmm. the, hide mm-hmm. the fact they are eating a hot dog. That was you just know about what I'm saying?
2: saying? <laughs> niggas can't even eat a glizzy without <laughs> you
1: know feeling saying? gay. A glizzy gobbler, you know what I'm saying? That's just terrible. So, I mean, it's, it's stuff like that that has been pretty, perpetuated through our society, and it's not really even our fault. I mean, we've just been trained to look down on certain aspects of our society just because of what the white man has told us and what the white man ingrained in us.
0: Very much so, very much so. Um, I wanted to go ahead and provide like, examples in history in which white men have not been held accountable for their heinous crimes, because oh, you yeah. know that they are thugs, oh, yeah. they're gangsters, they're hoodlums, mm-hmm. they are rapists. Mm-hmm. You know, they just downright dinged muddy dogs, okay? <laughs> so we gonna talk about it. Um, The first example that I wanted to give you guys was the Tulsa Race Massacre. Okay. Do you want to talk about it? No. no. Okay. That's completely fine. So the Tulsa Race Massacre was a two-day-long massacre that took place between May 31st through June 1st of 1921. And this um, massacre is an an event where white mobs and full of white residents Some of them who had been appointed as deputies and armed by city officials attacked black residents and destroyed homes and businesses of Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Shout out to Tulsa, who is still a historically black city. So, um, Tulsa, the Tulsa Race Massacre was considered the single most worst incident of racial violence in American history. And the massacre happened during Memorial Day weekend after 19 year old Dick Rowland, a black shoe shiner was accused of assaulting Sarah Page, a white 17 year old girl who was an elevator operator um, in a building. Okay, so the massacre left somewhat between 30 to 300 people dead and mostly African-Americans. And they destroyed Tulsa's Black neighborhoods of Greenwood, which is commonly known as Black Wall Street. More than 1,400 homes and businesses were burned and nearly 10,000 people were left homeless. They were displaced. Um, I feel like Tulsa is one of those main key points of history that is so like untold, but it's so known within the black community. Mm -hmm. Like everybody loves the idea and the story of black wall street, where we are completely prosperous. Mm -hmm. We have money. We have what Dr. Umar would consider like what is needed in order to create a community, black doctors, black um, sources of food, black farmers and black education, black banks. They had all these things in one central area. So they were succeeding without White people, and that's something that I feel like white people do. You can all you people try to compare Atlanta to Tulsa, but Atlanta does not have that, that like the whole black hospitals, black doctors, black teachers. There, there is not that. Mm -hmm. There's still like the implementation of white people still present. There's a large influence and focus of black people, but it's not completely all black prosperous like Black Wall Street was. So, in the instant in the instant incident of Tulsa race massacre really what happened was it's something similar to like an Emmett Till situation where a white girl you know she threw the rock and hit the hand and she started a whole bunch of shit and it resulted in thousands of people being displaced and cities burnt to the ground yeah
1: yeah now imagine if like a place like Tulsa was still kicking around, was able to have that 100 years to basically build itself up until, you know, we have more than uh, 1% of black banks in Af- in um, America, more than you know, just uh, black consumers because, I mean, we're basically just consumers. So, um, I mean, I, I, I just dream about how, you know, so much would be different if we would have had Tulsa as like a center for us and then you know have it kind of be like what atlanta i guess is trying to be because i hear a lot of people throw around the term atlanta being the black mecca so um black hollywood yeah all of that so it, it would have been i just i think it would have been so amazing for us to have had something like that
0: i do too but again you know we could have had something mm-hmm. but guess who 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 who, who ruined that Go on, shout them out. Go shout them out. Uh, shout out to all the white thugs, the white gangsters, the white rappers, the white arsonists. <laughs> shout out to y'all that y'all really did y'all thug fizzle. You know, y'all got real. You know, real, real hood destroyed a bunch of property. You know, and you were never held accountable. But guess what? We're gonna change that. Yeah, we're gonna change that. So the failure by the city and state authorities in Tulsa, Oklahoma, to provide comprehensive reparations was compounded the harms of May 31st, 1921, the Tulsa Race Massacre. Of con- I don't know what the fuck I'm saying, but what I'm trying to say is that Tulsa never gave the descendants of this massacre or the victims of this massacre any type of reparations. Yeah. And there are currently right now today three known living massacre survivors and they're over the age of 100 years old. Okay. It is, and you know, they still kicking, they still giving their testimony. Mm-hmm. So, um, I hope that if they don't get to get those reparations, I hope that their descendants do.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really hope that.
0: Um The next incident in American history where white people were extremely violent and they weren't held accountable is the Memphis riots of 1866 yep. and that is extremely close to home and for it to be so close to where we are I don't feel like people have an understanding of it. Yep. So um, the Memphis riots of 1688 is a series of violence events that uh, um, occurred from May 1st to May 3rd on um, 1688 in Memphis, Tennessee. The racial violence was ignited by political and social racism following the Civil War and the early stages of Reconstruction. The riot began when a white police officer attempted to arrest a black ex-soldier and an estimated 50 black. Uh, estimated 50 black people showed up to stop the police from jailing him Mm -hmm. black soldiers stationed at Fort Pickering at the city's South Bluff had allegedly killed this white policeman attempting to arrest this black soldier Mm -hmm. so when the rumor of the black on white crime spread Fort Pickerson's commander General George Stoneman confiscated black soldiers weapons and ordered them to go to their barracks, and that left nearly black neighborhoods and the African American refugee camps unguarded.
1: Oh, hell,
0: bro. It really did. So, exactly what you said the next evening, a brawl broke out on the South Street between a white police officer and the newly discharged black veterans of the 3rd U.S. Color Heavenly Artillery. Okay. And around the same time, a white mob assembled, including police officers and firemen, and they attacked the campgrounds of former slaves in African-American neighborhoods. And guess what? The government officials led the mob. That's crazy. It ain't crazy, it's history. <laughs> So, these folks rallied the attackers saying, boys, I want you to go ahead and kill every damned one of the nigger race and burn them up the cradle. That's what they said.
1: This is quoted. This is quoted. I'm at a loss for words. Don't be at a loss for words. I shouldn't be because, I mean, this is not something that should be new to us. It's
0: fine. It's fine. Let me find them words for you because all the crimes imaginable were committed. From simple larceny to rape and murder. Hmm. Yes. Several women and children were shot in their beds. So let me give you the final tally. 46 blacks, mostly union veterans, were special targeted and killed. 75 were wounded. Five black women were raped by whites. 12 schools and four churches were burned to the ground. And guess what? No one was held accountable.
1: Okay. No one's ever
0: gone. They never are, and that's what I'm trying to get you guys to understand. So, the the massacre really shows us the failures of the Reconstruction Era. Mm-hmm. Um, these Republicans seized control from the president, from President Andrew during this time, and they just kind of did what they wanted to do, and no one held them accountable. And you really can just it greatly impacted the state of Tennessee, and I really hate that. Yeah. I hate that they had to live in fear because, again, the people that are placed in power, the people that they were supposed to be trusting, took advantage of the power that they were given.
1: Yep, and this also is another example of how I know at least when I was growing up, when we did, when I did hear about um, the Reconstruction Era and learning about what truly happened, it was made to sound all happy-go-lucky. And coming to college and having all these courses in minoring African American so you learn that it was very haphazard. It was not um, supported very well by the Union North. Um, And it it honestly should have been a very prosperous time for our people. And at some points, it was. We got our first Black um, uh, state senators and um, congressmen during that time.
0: Shout out to the first Black senator. He came from Mississippi. Absolutely.
1: But as quickly as that came, it left. So um, get it up on your knowledge. I
0: mean to be honest with you the the fact that this era is called reconstruction is so fucking telling <laughs> them motherfuckers came down here and they tore up their own land mm-hmm. they tore it up so bad that they had to reconstruct the south yep. they had to pour th- thousands of thousands of hundreds of millions of thousands of dollars okay yep. and they poured it into the south to rebuild it and guess what they still towed that mess up again but that- They want to say we filing.
1: Right. And I think an argument can be made as to why the South, why much of the South, especially Mississippi, is in the hole that it is in now because Reconstruction was a sham. So.
0: It truly was, especially for the fact that Mississippi had the wealthiest millionaires at one point, the most amount of millionaires at one point. Mm -hmm. And there was a point where they had actually, um, they had kidnapped and enslaved a king from Africa. Really? They did, and he was in Mississippi, and they ended up sending him back. Mm,
2: mm, mm.
0: All right, so before we finish this question, I also wanted to talk about We Charged Genocide, Um, the 1951 Black Lives Matter campaign. Um, have you heard of this?
1: No, I have not
0: It's actually really interesting because it just came back up in the news. So, um, this document, We Charge Genocide, was written by like W.E.B. Dubois, mm-hmm. Malcolm X. Like, this is a long standing document mm-hmm. where essentially these great leaders, they Charged. Let me go ahead and just read it to you. In 1951, the Civil Rights Congress, affiliated with the Communist Party, engaged a campaign to hold the United States accountable for genocide against the African Americans. Okay, so there are 152 incidents that the Civil Rights Congress offered as evidence in support to this claim, these killings of unarmed Black men and women by police and by lynch mobs took place between 1945 and 1951. That's six years. 152 lynchings, murders, and killing. So we charge genocide, which was produced by William Patterson and the Civil Rights Congress. And the Civil Rights Congress, well, it, that's where you see the Malcolm X, W.E.B. Du Bois. They charge that under legal rubric laid out by the UN. So they they petitioned the UN, and they're just now hearing back results from it this year. What? Yes. And they actually charged the United States with genocide and they're literally doing nothing about it and no one is talking about it. What? Yeah. So um, essentially it was their grounds of stating that It was failed to be enforced. The United States failed to enforce its own constitution Mm -hmm. and the United States must be punished under international law for genocide against African-Americans. In his introduction to the petition, Patterson emphasized the relationship between Hitler's crimes against the Jews and America's crime against the African-Americans. Out of the inhumane black ghettos of the American cities, out of the cotton plantations of the South, comes this record of mass slayings on the basis of race, of lies deliberately warped and distorted by the willful creation of conductions making for premature death, poverty, and disease. It is a record that calls aloud for condemnation and for the end of these terrible injustices that constitute a daily and ever increasing violation of the United States Convention and the prevention and the punishment of the crime of genocide. Okay, they really did this and they like i said they submitted the report in 1951 now this this don't even focus on enslavement mm-hmm. this is reconstruction this is after they've been emancipated and they have their freedoms yes. and they're charging them for genocide and they they're still killing us yes. that's the argument Kanye made mm-hmm. All right, so the next topic that we're going to be talking about is understanding the intersection of white heterosexual men and the privilege that it yields. Okay, so I wanted to start off by reminding you guys what whiteness is. Whiteness is the overt and sublime socialization, progress, practices, power structures, laws, privileges, and life experiences that favor the white racial group over all others and refers specifically to the white heterosexual male subgroup. Now, Jonathan, why do you think I'm telling y'all that?
1: So, I mean, you have to understand who is actually in control of what is... Currently, you know, happening to the black people in this country as well as other minorities in the country, there is no just mon- in, in the sense that we, we that black people are not a monolith, white folks are not a monolith in the fact of who has control. Um, we are technically at war with the rich. Um, so the the poor white who live in the south, um, the women white women who um are you know tied to these rich and proper white men they are also in you know certain situations subjugated um like even during uh enslavement there were campaigns run to basically justify like i guess justify um the difference between white men who did not have land and black people because there was real, really no other difference other than the fact that We didn't have any land. They didn't have any land. Um, They were white and we weren't. So rich white men pushed that ideology. Like the thing that you have over slaves is that you're white. So, you know, that, you know, also put the people who were in main control on a pedestal and gave them the ability to have the continued power that they've had up until current days. I mean, look at the way Donald Trump has incited violence throughout our country with just the the backwards white folks in you know
0: the south so and the west
1: yeah so that's a perfect example
0: Yes, and I, and I think that you make such a great point about the fact that the battle that we are fighting is against the wealthy and the powerful. It's not against black and white, and sometimes we get so tripped up over race. It's not always about race. We live in a capitalistic society, so everything that is generated and created here is going to be surrounded by money. Now, with that in mind, oftentimes the people who are wealthy have to be white so you have to also be mindful by that and because the because they have two two I guess legs up against us the Mm -hmm. fact that they are white well three because they're white they're males and they are powerful they're put places that are powerful Mm -hmm. it creates room for corruptibility and the opportunity to avoid harsh sentencing and punishment because they have the money and the connections to be able to get them out of those situations yeah. and it's completely unfair but you know there is definitely a paradigm shift that is happening not even just in america but around the world yeah. where the oppressed minority is rising up that is true. they getting ready to eat the rich did you bring a knife and a plate and a fork i don't know
1: about eating nobody but you know i get i get the, i get the uh the, <laughs> the parallel that you're trying to make work i
0: don't know i'll take that little finger Woo! <laughs>
1: But yeah, and an example for that, and in addition to that, I've been listening to um, more recently. uh, What is it? The women in iran yes i
0: just got done talking about it
1: yeah those 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 women are doing some amazing things to be honest
0: let's just go ahead and break that down for a second just because i don't feel like i got a really good um opportunity to talk about it the women okay so this whole debacle what's going on in iran is a result of one girl being in the middle of the street without her hijab and yeah. the um what is it called the police I think they call them the morality police. Thank you. The morality police um, shot her and killed her. And a lot of these women, regardless of their age and regardless or not, they like like wearing their hijab or not, are speaking out. Mm -hmm. And they are killing them by the dozens. They are hanging them, shooting them, whatever they can. And it really, really, really reminds me of um, Ivan the Terrible Mm -hmm. from Russia he actually did something so similar during his reign in Russia he had the I want to say the poliski but he also had like a morality police where he would send these like Russian men out to like do his bidding he would round women up rape them kill them murder them set the cities on fire something so similar in like the modern day Mm -hmm. but what's even more crazy is the fact that they're taking their internet away from them they have no internet access whatsoever
1: and see that's the thing that's really helping them because these These cameras have been really putting all the debauchery on display. So, I mean, taking that outlet from them is really kind of shutting us off from, you know, supporting their cause, which is another example of, you know, uh, heterosexual male power in society.
0: Yes, but again, the minority is always going to win because shout out to us because our tax dollars are paying for Starlink to go over to Iran and give those people internet. So Elon Musk made a deal with the United States government to send Starlink over there to Iran so that they can have access and we're paying for it. Mm -hmm. So shout out to us and my tax dollars. Oh yeah, I I don't want my tax dollars to be spent on Ukraine, but help them women in Iran. (laughs) I promise you, I'm not mad about it. We're praying for you guys um so let's go ahead and move on there are that's really this whole topic is really why we're here and we're here really to discuss ways that the black community can really hold white men accountable for the things that they have done but The next thing to do is really just discuss these examples of these powerful white men and their primal and natural habitats, enforcing modern examples of violence, bigotry, racism and oppression towards minority people. So, yeah, let's go ahead and get into it. Okay, so the first topic I'm going to get into today is um, the police force, because um there's a wide gulf that remains between the police perception of police violence and how it's treated in court and police officers are really persecuted.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, at this point, I kind of wanted to give like a little bit of background on the actual police and what policing started as and how we can kind of see it kind of go into where it is now. So in the North, Um, the first police group or police force, you want to call it, that was started in 1838 in Boston. They they were following the example of the English because they were starting to create, the, I guess, what the bobbies and the the night watches and all that because the metropolitan areas were getting larger. They wanted to find a way to kind of curtail the disorder in the cities because of all the the Industrial Revolution, basically. So um, in the northern states, it started as a private system this was just like for the protection of property of the um the Rockefellers and the uh all of the 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 elites the elites the monopolies in those larger cities and as that you know kind of turned away from you know protecting the large assets it became more of a system of keeping order in those large areas in the south on the other hand we kind of already knew this the police force started slave patrols. Mm-hmm. So they were rounding up slaves who were runaway or um, who had actively, you know, bought their freedom, but were, you know, tearing up their freedom papers and sending them back into slavery. So the police force in this country has always had a um, a history of violence and outright control over genuine, uh, general citizenship. So um, it's not a surprise when you see policemen Automatically asking for your ID when they don't necessarily have to. Um, Throwing you into the back of cop cars and throwing stuff into your car, planting things on the people and doing that because they have this air of absolute um, authority over you. And in reality, their job is to protect the public, not to control the public, not to um, curtail whatever maybe they be trying to do. It's just they're supposed to be working for us. And that's not what the case is today.
0: Very much, very much so, and very well put. Um, now that you guys have an understanding of the Ku Klux Klan, ooh, I mean, the police force, <laughs> um, I'm gonna give you guys a couple <laughs> stats. Um, from 2005 to 2014, about five police officers are persecuted a year. Hmm. So, starting from 2015, the average is up to roughly 13 police officers being persecuted a year, meaning cops are now persecuted in a less than 2% of fatal shootings and up from less than 1%. But the convictions have not increased much. Um And I wanted to point out the fact that many social and legal factors contribute to the low rates of charges and convictions. Cops under cultural um, pressure actively protect each other. And they make it more difficult to do anything to investigate fatal police shootings as an illegal act.
1: Yeah, especially like a brotherhood.
0: I feel like um, we really could see this with Evaldi. Yeah. Uvalde, so um, we all knew about Uvalde mm-hmm. and the fact that it was so hard for the people to be able to obtain the tapes, yeah. the um, footage of what the police officers were doing and you know why? Because they were protecting one another oh, yeah. and they were they like, ooh, even the mayor of Uvalde she, um, that person, I don't know what their gender is, I'm sorry to that man but um, they were like good luck trying to find footage because it's always some bullshit it's like crazy. Mm-hmm. It's always bullshit happening. You loud it. That's what they be saying. Mm-hmm. And they that's just really what they do. They will do anything to uphold white supremacy and get what they want. Um, I wanted to go into another case that I found out because, yeah, we're talking about um, persecution rays, whether or not where they're coming from. But I also really want to place the emphasis on the fact that police officers do create opportunities for corruption. So um, there's an incident that recently came out two days ago of three police officers having inappropriate relationships with a young woman who later killed herself. Yeah. So this is from Stranton police officers. I don't know where Stranton it, but fuck you. So three Stranton police officers who um have resigned from their roles with the department engaged in inappropriate relationships with a teenage girl who died by suicide later that year. And um the girl's name is Sandra Bitchmore. Um originally she came to these officers. His name is Matthew Fairwall. His twin brother, William Farewell and Robert Devine for a mentoring program, right? Mm-hmm. When she met them, she was 13 years old and they started a sexual relationship with this girl when she was 15 and the first man, Matthew Fairwell was 27 when this started that is grooming that is they're so predatorial that they met her when she was 13 they waited two years developed a relationship with her started having sex and it's not just one of them they passed her around they smashed and passed her Mm. so again their names is uh, former officers Matthew Farewell his twin brother little incest huh William Farewell and Robert Devine They passed and smashed her around, and sometimes they were texting her while they was on duty to arrange meetings. Sounds like a little Eiffel Tower action going on, brothers. Matthew Farewell got her pregnant, and he tried to cut ties with her afterwards, and Sarah killed herself last year while she was expecting her first child. So, um Sarah Miss Bitchmore is an example of someone who was felt by manipulated by and used by police officers in authority. Yeah. And currently right now former officer Matthew Farewell is 36 years old and um when, when I say people in power, yeah, he was a detective and a former president of the patrolmen's union in that city.
1: Of course. And you know, you you grow up watching these you know, crime TV shows where the cops are always good guys, yeah, Taker's always one, you know, smart is always good looking. You know, doing the right thing by the right people. You know, for the right reasons. And in reality, more often than not, that's not the case. And I think that also plays into how much they can really get away with. You you come under the impression that uh, you come on the impression that cops you know can't do no wrong. They they they're just the the people who are saving us they're the supermen of our society when you're out, it's just not that way and of course there are good cops and you will see good cops around in different places but the bad apple is always going to make the tree you know stand out in the uh, amongst the tree of good apples so it's it's just really sad to be honest it's just very sad and
0: um it's pathetic. Fuck a mm-hmm. sad. <laughs> Them niggas is pathetic. They like those men, they wear their uniforms and they are the rejects. They not smart. it, it don't take much to become a police officer.
1: Which surprises me, honestly.
0: It don't. It do surprise me, but meeting the people that choose to be police officers, mm-hmm. I can see why. Yep. They stupid. And then they got the right, they feel like they had the right to be able to talk to people in a type of way just yep. because they got a little badge. They, they got a little piece of aluminum sitting on top of their chest. They think they doing something. Mm-hmm. Let me be quiet. Alright. The next group of people um that are in power who abuse the power that they have i wanted to talk about is the military Mm -hmm. okay so one in five applicants to white supremacist groups claim to hold or have former ties in the united states military of course they do yep what make you say of course they do
1: i mean it just it just seems right You, you you If you, if you think about how the gun industry kind of funnels young white men into the military and then you know patriotism to me at least has never been um separate from white supremacy because you always hear about the white supremacist groups talking about we want to you know make america great again we want to go back to the, the good bio, old days the, the, all that all that bullshit i mean that's and it lines right up with going into the military if you have that patriotism of course you're going to want to serve your country
0: yep very much so so speaking on that last march the pentagon released a report that cited domestic extremist groups posing an instant threat in the military by attempting to recruit service members in a certain situation to join the military to gain combat experience Mm -hmm. so in other words um a lot of these people join the military, and I've, I've heard about this people saying that they join the military just so they can learn how to kill black people. Really, yeah,
1: hmm.
0: yes, pew pew. But, um, so there are two large white supremacist groups mm-hmm. in the military right now. So, the first one we're going to talk about is Patriot Front, and then mm-hmm. the second one we're going to talk about is um, what, what, what the oath keepers. Yes, so um, Patriot Front is a white supremacist and neo-fascist hate group. And they emerged as a rebranding of the neo-Nazi organization, the Vanguard America, in the aftermath of 2007. Unite the Right rally in um, Charlottesville, Virginia, mm-hmm. and the Patriot Front represents one of the most prominent white supremacist groups in the country, and is led by Thomas Rizzo a 23-year-old man based out of T- uh, Dallas, Texas. Yeah, show you right, Dallas. Show you hate,
1: baby. All y'all folks want to go out there. Y'all be careful going out to the Dallas.
0: Uh huh. Yes. So this is what Mr. Thomas had said. He said, a nation within a nation is our goal. Our people face complete annihilation as our culture and heritage are in attack from all sides. <laughs> so, you know, that ideology has a lot to do with um, the fact that white people feel like they're going to go extinct like Mm -hmm. in the next couple years Mm -hmm. and a lot of people in these groups they're creating like this like manifestos and ideology to number one rape white women like to systematically rape white women and get them pregnant especially since they took away world versus Wade Mm -hmm. because they know that they can't get rid of the baby so they're gonna take advantage of this opportunity to help raise the birth rate in america Mm -hmm. and um I don't. I don't really. They're really scared. So they're going. They're going to any extreme <laughs> to be able to keep their population. And that you saw that through the um the shooting in Buffalo, New York, yeah. when they killed all those black people yeah. in the um grocery store. He wrote the manifesto on the inside of his um gun in white paint. He was talking about how the he needed to annihilate blacks because there need to be more white people in the world. They are really scared. And these people are running to the military. Patriot Front recruits members through the internet who are still legally minors, indoctrinating them with white supremacist ideology and even encouraging them to lie to their parents so they can group transport them across state lines for fascist events. This Patriot Front, but more interestingly... We're going to get into the Oath Keepers. Yeah. Have you been seeing the Oath Keepers in the news lately, Jonathan?
1: Yeah, that was um, the group that were trying to crash that um bribery.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah. And I
1: think they were also influential in the January 6th insurrection.
0: They just came. Okay, so the news just came out. So they just found records from inside of the White House during January 6th. Oh, no. Somebody inside of the White House called one of the rioters from the... Up in there during the fucking riot mm-hmm. and they they finna figure out who it is they know who the patriot was quote unquote but they don't know who it was and they all speculating that it was big daddy allegedly <laughs> i ain't even gonna say nothing but y'all know his cheeto dusty fringles are written all over oh these.
1: yeah gotta be
0: so the Oath Keepers is an American far-right anti-government militia whose members um, claim to defend the Constitution of the United States. They were incorporated in 2009 by their founder, Elmer Stewart Rose, a former lawyer and paratrooper. Look at that, a lawyer and a paratrooper. Mm. The Oath Keepers members, they they list include the military, the law enforcement, and politicians. So you're going to see all them, Oath Keepers everywhere. They kind of like the Klan. Yeah. The Oak Keepers claims tens of thousands of present and former law enforcement officials, military veterans as members, and is one of the largest far-right anti-government groups in the United States today. And they have risen to national prominence because of their role that they played in the January 6th Capitol riot um it highlighted mm-hmm. fresh concerns of the domestic extremism in the military after several former and current military members were caught for their involvement in the riots but 11 members of the far-right Oath Keepers Militia, including their leader, Stuart Rose, has been charged with seditious conspiracy for their roles. Mm-hmm. Now, although they have been charged, their crimes are not equaling the amount of time that they're spending in jail. Mm-hmm. So the person who has received the most amount of like time is the, the, the nigga that was there. Really? He done got 11 years. The rest of them are on house arrest, six months in jail, a year in jail, three years in jail. He got six. But you know, that's what you get. But we ain't here to talk about coons today. We're here to talk about what these damn motherfucking pasties out here doing. All right. So the next group of people that we will be talking about today is the church. Because the church actually has a different set of privileges and powers that we want to focus on surrounding pedophilia yes yes man and boy love that's what they want
1: that's not what they say they want
0: that's what they said they wanted they done rebranded pedophilia
1: i claim a conspiracy i claim uh contradictories i claim all of those (laughs) how y'all gonna be out here
0: well they gonna claim the fifth and they gonna plead it too Mm -hmm. after we get done with them because we gonna put that ass all up in jail Mm -hmm. so this is what Robert Jones, the founder of the Public Religious Research Institution, has to say about the white church in America. We white Christians have not just been complacent, complacent or complacent, rather the nation's dominant cultural power. We have constructed and sustained a project, a project of perpetuating white supremacy that has framed the entire American story. The legacy of this unholy union still lives in the DNA of white Christianity today, and not just amongst white even any, any evangelical Protestants in the South, but also amongst white mainline Protestants in the Midwest and white Catholics in the Northeast. That let you know so much. Yep. Would it let you know since you know so much? It's,
1: it's, it's telling you that I mean, they know. They've they've always known that it's been in hand in hand with some of the most detrimental sociological events that have been going on, like under the radar at least. So um the the raping of young boys in the church, that's a big one. Um taking advantage of women based on your placement in the church is another one um even if we can take it all the way back into um the time of the kings of england you know where they were with the start of the catholic church had you know built into the law and jurisdiction of the people in england so lord don't let us
0: talk about the vatican (laughs)
1: lord i mean you can see how they have so much influence because at their onset they were creating the laws they were the the judge you're in the executioner if you weren't going by what the church said they was taking you out
0: emphasis on creating the laws mm-hmm. creating the narrative yep. setting the tone yes they were the ones doing all of the raping mm-hmm. pillaging colonizing okay. they were they were this is them this is the white evangelical church the protestant church the white catholic church this is them so American Christianity is part and parcel of a white supremacist social order. They go hand in hand. American society is racist and the church is part of the society or ergo, the church has problems with race. Okay. Okay. And it is no secret that the church has been facing serious allegations of systemic pedophilia in the church for years and has been flying under the radar without being persecuted. So the first group of people I wanted to talk about was the Southern Baptist Convention. And they are currently under investigation by the Department of Justice. Okay? So this group of people has America's largest Protestant demographic confirmed sexual abuse allegations and have been covering it up for decades now within the southern baptist convention they have a database of over 700 confirmed priests accused of abuse and have been again hiding it for decades and all this is completely hypocritical
1: yep big time because how you how do you and even, even in slavery, they use the Bible and Christian beliefs to justify slavery. But how, how can you be a moral human being, be a, uh, a God-fearing, honestly, and I'll go there, human being, but also subjugating other human beings? The God, I mean, the Bible teaches that we're all equal. The Bible teaches that we're supposed to love each other. Love thy neighbor as you love thyself. So you can't go around, you know, touting these other ideologies and claim to be a Christian and then, you know, be confused when you show up at Hell's Gate.
2: no.
0: Ooh, that's Queen Elizabeth right now. Mm. <laughs> mm. That bitch dazed and confused. My heavens, what am I doing here? Right.
1: <laughs> Trying to figure out why the oven on you ain't even cooking. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord.
0: So, like I said, and yes, you, you really said this so much. It's so hypocritical because they have preached this message of homosexuality being the biggest threat mm-hmm. of church mm-hmm. and ironically enough the church seems to be the biggest threat yeah. of the church yeah. because to me it appears that these priests these priests um and the church protects abusers the church protects pedophiles it seems like these churches protect rapists mm-hmm. and these churches protect ministers over their victims yeah. so to Furthermore, drive this point home, the French Catholic Church has had over 330,000 cases of sexual assault since the 1950s. The report estimated that 216,000 children were abused by Catholic priests between 1950 and 2020. Between 1950 and 2020, 216 children were abused. Okay? All right. So... And I also want to say that around 80% of these victims were boys. Yeah. Why do you think that these people are able to do this?
1: Oh, and I, I can take it back to the same argument that I made for police. The church can do no wrong. I mean, it's been established in our culture that if you want to have um, help, if you want to have a comfortable lifestyle, if you want to be viewed at least as morally correct, you're in the church so anybody who's not in leadership and is on the outside looking in will most likely view church people and church goers and church leadership as very good outstanding citizens who help the community not hurt the community and it's very sad and honestly very you know just terrible how in some situations it turns to be the flip opposite Mm. so
0: yeah um all in all, these priests are seen as heroes because they choose to take this vow of cel- celibacy, but they have way too much power and they don't have enough people like watching over them. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and they have too much access and easy access to young children and yeah. vulnerable people. Mm-hmm. So that, that really is like breeding grounds for powerful me- powerful white men to create room for um you know
1: yep If it's being taught that it's okay then it's just going to continue to to happen
0: i don't even think it's yeah it is being taught because it's being condoned yeah and you know what i was telling you about the camera and i was telling you the story about the abbot and the monk Yeah, i'm not gonna go into it if you want to look more into like the cultural history behind like monks and, like, how they tend to act historically. There's um, a book called The Decameron, and it's written by an Italian fellow. Um, um, The book is a compilation of stories within stories, and you should check out Dave um, day one, story four it's called the Abbot and the Monk and it will give you an understanding of how these religious people and religious players acted, which was extremely sneaky yeah. and deceiving and conniving and it'll give you actual examples of these people taking advantage raping, having sex with underage girls, so if you just want something to help tuck you in at night I would definitely suggest the Decameron,
1: if you want to give you nightmares and that I suggested the camera
0: no did the, the camera and I sing you a sweet lullaby <laughs> don't tell the people that you know niggas don't want to read no way <laughs> alright what are some useful ways and strategies of holding powerful white men accountable for their actions while protecting the black communities from their violence
1: yeah so um something that we honestly been seeing a lot in social media especially TikTok um, and Instagram, people, video, literally everything. Mm-hmm. So in especially in the George Floyd case, a lot of the the link pin in that case was the fact that they had video of this police officer having his neck his knee in George's neck. So Ashe, I say right. George Floyd. Yeah. so if you if you are in the situation where you see something that you may find strange, if you see something that you know for a fact is wrong, Pull your phone out and video it because the more that we have evidence of them doing these things, the more that people will stop stop doing what they're doing. I, I can't, can't
0: lie to you, mm-hmm. Jonathan. They took that right away from us.
1: How what you mean?
0: So within the last couple months, the civil rights passed some type of like laws that changes the way that police officers can interact with us. Mm-hmm. So number one, they've taken away um like the right to remain silent. Like, they not going to tell you your Miranda rights no more. You have to, like, just know you can't say shit. Number two, they took away our right to be able to record them within 15 feet really mm-hmm. it's a lot of new cases now and it's like a very new case where police officers have been taking phones and like saying that they that you can't record and I've also seen a video of this Uber driver he's there's a man in his car mm-hmm. and the police is pulling the man over in his car and he's recording because he's driving and he's scared the police is trying to take his phone from him and he's like what if what if something happened what if I'm press charges upon I'm innocent and all this the mm-hmm. police are trying to take his phone because they taking our right to be able to do that you got to record from a distance that's
1: crazy because i mean if that's the case then that's definitely unconstitutional but i mean what
0: the constitution right they don't
1: care no they They don't don't
0: they gonna read it whichever that way they want to but i mean if you have the opportunity to be able to record I will say something, but furthermore, I furthermore um, get 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 off the phone, get in the field. Mm-hmm. That's real shit. So a lot of people are becoming des- desensitized to like the atrocities that are going on. Yeah. I know in an earlier episode, I was talking about um, an incident in New York where this lady was getting raped on a actual train, like at night, and the blood- the train was full. Mm-hmm. There were people in the train watching her be sexually attacked by this homeless man, and all they did was record while she was being sexually assaulted so that's why I'm saying get off the phone and get in the field start
1: a war I agree with you on that one because I mean you it's one thing to see something and I can understand if it's like a violent situation where a police officer and most police officers are in a confrontation with somebody that I would see how you would want to you know stay as far back as you can while also having that footage but I mean I I take the protection of women very seriously Uh so I mean at that point you it is a full train. somebody got to make the first move and then i have other people follow along there's nothing wrong with you protecting somebody
0: do said i'm gonna mind my business and in some cases yeah mind your business but if you if if you are in a position to help help
1: yeah yeah
0: um what is another a piece of advice of holding white men accountable i
1: mean it's Okay. Historically, uh-huh. we 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 can look back on during the civil rights and uh, slightly before the civil rights movement, um, and after the civil rights movement, just that whole little area between 1945 and into the 1960s, you can look at the Black Panther Party, the the Deacons for uh, Self Defense, mm-hmm. all of those groups who were armed and visibly armed, mm-hmm. they were a deterrent for white uh, supremacy. In the black community, because we were no longer just taking the line down. Mm-hmm. And I give a lot of credit to Martin Luther King for what he did. The nonviolent movement really put our plight on display as, as far as like the television and news was concerned.
0: Yeah, but Martin Luther King went on his deathbed saying that we should have been a little more violent.
1: Yeah, and I think toward the end of his movement, he was getting more frustrated with how he was taking the nonviolent approach and not getting much headway. Mm-hmm. So, um, The Black Panther Party was basically um, squashed because they knew that they had power in our community.
0: Yes, so community policing.
1: Yes, that's what I'm referring to.
0: most definitely agree I think that community policing number one gives you agency over the community you don't want police officers in your communities that don't understand your communities or the people within your communities especially those who are disabled Mm -hmm. have mental health issues like you don't want them to be interfering in it so we really need to start taking responsibility back into our own hands going within the community and taking care and checking up on people because there are so many situations where the police police do not need to be called yeah. and we really could create our own form of resolution amongst ourselves yeah. and you know black people already have a fear of the police and we choose not to call the police in a, a slew of situations
1: mm-hmm. yep and honestly like calling 911 is really a catch all for all situations in my opinion we should have some like a different group for domestic violence cases for someone having a mental um crisis someone having a health emergency because the police can't show up and you know automatically handle every situation because some situations just need to be handled delicately
0: and if we're gonna be honest with you the police telling us that they don't want to show up no more
1: oh yeah yeah been seeing that too too.
0: all in atlanta Mm -hmm. they said baby we is on our break Mm -hmm. yeah and it's them Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about, which also piggybacks on what you were talking about Mm -hmm. is, um, creating and affirming these values and practices as well as like developing strategies to address like abusive behavior in our communities Mm -hmm. and creating like research centered around the discrimination. Oh, that's a great, that's a great point. Creating like. Creating and addressing deconstruction of like white men's sense of privilege. Mm-hmm. So I actually read this article two days ago and it's called white male privilege yeah. and intersectional De- um, deconstruction. Okay. And it's really interesting. So it's about uh, studies and they took in several groups of white men mm-hmm. and, you know, they had a focus group and they had two different groups where they put them through different types of testing and survey surveys that help like break down and um analyze what it is what they were doing so they helped them deconstruct through um what is it psychological writing Mm -hmm. um through peer writing their ideologies and methodologies and help them like i guess not look at the world through a privileged perspective huh
1: and that's that's something that at least the people the 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 white folks that that i've seen trying to be um, better about how they view the world and how they view their white privilege um, is something that they seem to struggle with because they've grown up without even knowing that they have white privilege first off. And to to see that they have white privilege and then consciously act on it, you know, is different because that, be is, for them, it's almost like, you know, figuring out how to breathe again. Because, I mean, say we, if we grew up not having to worry about whether we, you know, where we are at any point in time, not having to worry about whether we can put 10 on our car or, you know, wear a certain thing to a certain place. We wouldn't, you know, be worried about it either. And we would probably treat people the same way that white folks treat us. So um, that, that caring thing, uh you know, being able to pinpoint like stuff that you don't need to involve yourself in being able to pinpoint, just not appropriating certain things from different cultures, being able to pinpoint Like, just staying in your lane is is something that they need help with.
0: Very much that. And that leads me into my second idea of ways to hold white men accountable. Mm -hmm. We need to be finding new solutions to help them um, with, like, de-escalation training. Yes,
1: yes, yes, yes.
0: So, um, I was telling you earlier about how there's a strange phenomenon going on. So, apparently, with the murder victims of, like, George Floyd, the family of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and the family of Breonna Taylor, um, they're getting, they're suing these police officers and stations and they are winning large amounts of money. Yeah. This amount, these large sums of money is coming from the police officers insurance companies. Mm-hmm. So these insurance companies are coming out of pocket real heavy. Yep. And because we live in a capitalistic society, of course these insurance companies have to protect their assets. So they're calling these police officers and their unions and telling them um if y'all don't start controlling the way that y'all are killing people mm-hmm. we're going to raise your premium mm. and as a result of their premium being raised a lot of these killings have gone down
2: yeah.
0: now you cannot expect white people or these groups of white supremacists to have the capacity to empathize with the fact that they are literally taking life away from black people but you can expect them to understand when you fucking with their money yeah. So it's... it's,
1: ingrained, too.
0: Yes, and it's because, again, we live in a capitalist society, we have to start looking at ways that impact their money. So maybe it's time for us to go back to what they were doing doing during the civil rights movement, boycotting, not spending our money in certain places, putting money back into the black communities and starving them financially to where they will act right.
1: And that's something that we've been hearing multiple different times uh, from different... um, civil rights activists of today where they say like you know don't spend your money in certain places because i don't if, if you do that you're just feeding the fire
0: i'm i i do not like Honestly, okay, I live in a very small town. I live in Starkville, so there are only so many places where I can go and shop. But mm-hmm. if I can help it, I'm not giving my money to Walmart. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving my money to Chick-fil-A. I'm not giving my money to McDonald's or Wendy's. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they don't support none of the stuff that I support. And when when shit hit the fan, they always show their ass. Yep. yep. Um, but, yeah, really... And honestly, what, uh, the final thing that I wanted to say about um, holding people accountable and protecting the community, lastly, is to provide safety and support to those who have been targeted. Yes. And I think that is the main point of this. Although it's so important for us to hold these white people accountable, somebody got to be around the tell store. So with that in mind, when these atrocities monstrosities whichever word you want to use do happen we need to be able to protect those victims so number one they can be able to come out we need to provide safe spaces for them in environments and curate these environments where they'll be able to speak their truth and they feel comfortable being able to do so and they need that type of protection i'm not talking about texting them and making sure they made it home i'm talking about um call the new Black panther party and have somebody on standby to make sure ain't nobody bothered. Them. Right. And it's getting to that point in American, in in history, where we really do need to be showing up and showing out for one another. Yeah,
1: that is true. I completely agree with that one. Thank you.
0: Shout out to the slaves.
1: Yeah, shout out to the slaves. You feel me? Shout out to Harriet Tubman. Shout out to the real
0: niggas. Shout out to the real niggas. And shout out again to all those people who hate my guts. Y'all are doing a justice and an effort to the world. Keep breaking these men down one at a time.
2: You are obsessed and sick
0: yeah yeah man now it's time for the big black shout out man we're coming to your live man with the joke and jive man
2: oh yeah
0: baby Yes, so the big black opportunity of the shout out for the people of the negro community. Yes, the big black shout out is an opportunity to help curate the black dollar and put it back and circulate it back into our communities and for audience members to explore black owned hidden gems. So, Jonathan, who would you like to shout out? All right, so I
1: got a few for y'all today. So, first off, I'm gonna give y'all an offbeat record shop, and this in Midtown, in Jackson, Mississippi, that's the capital of Mississippi. And um, Offbeat is a record shop that's not just a record shop. They have their own merchandise. They sell um, comic books. They sell manga. They sell um, records, of course, record, um, record players of all different types. And the place is owned by DJ Venom. He's been an in uh, integral part of the community for a long time. And they're actually in the process of moving. So if you want to find out how you can help them, you can go to offbeat.jxn.com. Um, and you can find them, um, and you know, support them, and give donations to their shop because they are trying to expand and be a better part of our community. So go shout out, um, go look at Offbeat Jackson in Midtown.
0: Shout out to you, Offbeat. I love that for y'all. What did you say the owner of Offbeat? His name was uh,
1: DJ Venom.
0: Shout out to you, Big Daddy, B, DJ Venom <laughs> Slime Season Slap Slap. Yeah. All right. Who's the next person that you would like to shout out today? Yeah.
1: So the next two groups are both um they're both gaming groups. The Problematic Posse is on Discord, and I have a link that I'll probably um give Morgan to drop at the end of this uh, Spotify episode and um you can follow them if you're into video games they're also from jackson mississippi i went to school one of the guys who's on that group and um they do a lot of fun stuff too so if you're interested in any of that you can go look at um the problematic posse on discord as well as my own friend group the jaeger junction um product of jaeger gang incorporated we were started right here uh in mississippi state but we're all from mississippi and uh well mainly from Mississippi. And we also play video games. So if you want to see me get cracked in a couple different video games, you can find us on Discord as well.
0: Y'all be talking shit. Yeah, we be talking shit. What y'all be talking about?
1: And we really be talking about how I suck at the game, you know what I'm saying? How I'm all getting killed and stuff like that. But you know, it's all fun. It's all fun in games. I know I'm not good. I just like being on there with my boys. So. Oh,
0: I love it. That's let really
1: let <laughs> yeah, and then also we have an artist, okay. Yanaj, she's um also from Jackson. Her single running run it it's on uh, all streaming platforms we went to school together um brianna's a good friend of mine and um she's doing big things and um the song is fire honestly I, i thought she was gonna be singing on it but she was rapping so it's cool go check her out if you're into music and like and stuff like that and then lastly you know i got a um a soft spot for clothing brands so eli and legendary hearts is a new brand um it's a new clothing designer trying to make a change in the world right so um, he has some really fire clothing pieces. He makes puffer jackets, hoodies, um, sweatsuits, um, biking shorts, even jean shorts, uh cutters, whatever you're looking for. You and he, your daddy he, shorts. I don't see him with the hoochie daddy shorts yet. Yeah. But yeah, but he he I mean, he he is a jack of all trades, honestly. So you can find him on Instagram at Legendary Hearts One. That's um lowercase, no spaces, legendary hearts and the number one. Um and if you're interested, you know, just go buy some of his merch.
0: Well, shout out to all of them. Shout out to, um, you said, your friend, Yanaje. Yeah. Where can we find her at?
1: Uh, Spotify, Apple Music, all streaming platforms. Spell it, it for me. It's Y-A-N-A-J with the E.
0: With you know the, the special thing
1: on top, uh-huh. yeah, posture, Pop- it, yes. yeah,
0: uh-huh. yeah, I'm glad I actually spelled it. boot. yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that for you all. Shout out to all my gaming daddies, the ones that sit in the corner, play their games in um, mind they business. We love you guys so much at the Afrocentric podcast. Mm-hmm. Shout out to all the black way makers and, and, and way shakers and the artists and all of the designers. We love that for you guys. absolutely I just wanted to remind you guys if there are any small black business businesses, creators, innovators, thinkers, or speakers that you would like for me to shout out during this segment, make sure that you are emailing me at the Afrocentric Podcast. That's Podcast at gmail.com.
2: Please forgive me for any sins in which I
0: committed, those I know of and those I don't know, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for beating this bitch ass today, Lord. Lord, please forgive me for thinking about beating our ass again, Lord. Please rebuke all these demons that's in this house, Lord. I pray Is that unto really you, Lord. necessary? And now it's part of our favorite segments uh, of the Afrocentric podcast. <laughs> this here, we like to call the altar call. Amen. 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 First, giving honor to Jesus, who is the head of my life. I just wanted to remind y'all that I'm here and I'm yet praying and fasting and hoping. I'm on my knees. Begging and pleading and wrestling. Woo-wee. I'm asking the Lord to come through for y'all, okay? And he the, is. He on the mad line and I'm telling him what y'all want. What y'all want from the gas station, babies. Yes, because this here is an opportunity for listeners to DM prayer requests for groups of people, politicians, relationships, and etc. okay? So let's go ahead and get on to the prayer requests for the afternoon mm-hmm. they already asked me to pray for Malia Obama the daughter of the legendary Barack Hussein Obama. Obama, 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 Obama yes 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 my president is black but Malia Obama presidency her pregnancy test came back positive oh god lord have mercy oh there is a rumor going around that Malia Obama is currently pregnant by
1: future, oh. Lord have mercy.
0: Fix it, Jesus. Fix it, Jesus. Take the wheel,
1: Jesus.
0: take the baby,
1: Please.
0: take the uterus. <laughs> now, <laughs> Malia, baby, we all smoke a little weed. The Lord put that on the planet for you and me, okay? Mm-hmm. But right now, baby, you is running out. Yeah, all the way, you ran a mile. Oh Lord, and I don't want to blame you because you want the one that didn't pull out. It was future. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you something Jesus, he is a doctor, is a doctor. in the abortion brain. <laughs> Yes, he is. He is is a way maker. He gonna make a way out of no way. So, I just wanted to let you know here at the Afrocentric Temple of God in Christ, we are yet leaning and fasting for For you you. in your time of distress. Amen. All right. Now, the next people that I will be praying for is the white people that is still dabbing and sad, swag surfing. Look, y'all,
1: just let it go.
0: With no deodorant on. Please let it go. The black community wants y'all to know that y'all are 20 years too late.
1: Mm, mm, mm. If you're gonna do it, at least get on beat.
0: No, they need to go back to doing the mashed potato. Mm. <laughs> the macarena The mashed potato ain't even there. The, the <laughs> macarena ain't even <either>, <laughs> What do white people do? I don't
1: know what they do. They uh waltz. They 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 do they do that they waltz okay all right we'll Let them walk.
0: so here we would like to extend y'all to come and waltz with the praise and worship team mm-hmm. we got some white face masks for y'all so y'all can dance for the lord mm-hmm, yes let, let what the bible say jesus say let everything that have breath yeah. praise yeah. ye the lord Amen. so we gonna Amen. give y'all an opportunity to lift his name Raising. waltzing in the Afrocentric ballroom for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Amen. How did it that sound? That sound pretty I love that. The Lord making a way out of the way. Absolutely. So, the next thing I wanted to pray about on this afternoon, um, I wanted to talk to y'all about uh, asking God for Sierra's prayer.
2: Mm.
0: I want y'all to know that y'all need to be asking for the prayer that adele, adele let loose because mm, mm, mm. the lord he really did move on her behalf <laughs> she truly did she let loose and let go of that weight mm-hmm. and we want to know adele what tongue is you speaking in baby mm-hmm. we want to know if you speaking in a tongues of liposuction mm-hmm. we want to know if you on the dumbbells yeah. or if you was on crack we just want to know we do, and if you was hungry, you can always come by the pantry, and we will give you something to eat. Cause oh you God. look a little hungry.
1: She probably live a, waste a little bit. That girl yeah. wasn't
0: lifting. She was lifting a microphone. Oh my Lord have mercy. Amen. Amen. And thank you so much for uh your vocal stylings Adele. We need mm-hmm. you here, the uh children's choir. Mm-hmm. All right. Lastly. The brother, Mr. Victor, who is also over the Treasury Department here at the Afrocentric Temple of Je- God and Christ and Jehovah, where the cup runneth over. Yes, yes. Yes. He has asked that we pray for enlightenment mm-hmm. and realizing why, in fact, that we do have the answers. Mm-hmm. He also said that we are still praying for the rappers, which happen to do the most dangerous job in America. Yeah, I would like to add that a God is also mm-hmm. still in the business of blessing all the trap niggas. <laughs> he, is, he, yes, is, he is. Yes, he is. He yes, is in he the blessing is. business. Um, we are praying for the hands of the elders, so that the lord can heal them of arthritis so that they can be prepared to make thanksgiving and christmas plates for us all as the holiday season approaches us yes Yes. in jesus name i pray let every heart say
2: amen Steady trying to find the motive, motive. why I do what I do, and freedom ain't getting no closer, closer. no matter how far closer. I go, my car is stolen, The stolen. No registration, stolen. cops patrolling, patrolling. and now they done stopped me and I get locked up, they won't let me out. They won't let me out All locked up They won't let me out no They won't let me out
0: all right everybody um first i would like to thank jonathan cheek so much for being here i
1: thank you more for having me man. It was, it, was, it was great honestly i love doing this and ever since we had that that little project in class like i was, I was hoping that you would start this and you did it and it was great so
0: yeah jonathan you know i'm double cheeked up on sunday <laughs> <Woo!
1: laughs>
0: yeah. we try our best you know and um i'm i'm glad that i meet you i really am i'm glad that um we shared that experience and that we're here now because I definitely know that you got the potential to do something great and, you know, you're going to speak your, you're going to pop your shit, Jonathan. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That's what I want to do. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And I, that's what I
1: want to do, too.
0: <laughs> so, at this time, I want to give you an opportunity to say some final words to the black community.
1: Okay. Okay. So, I mean, y'all, I'm going I'm to try to keep it brief, but, like, we deal with a lot. We do it a lot being black in America. We do a lot being black across the country. We do it a lot being black in this world. But um we got so many examples of people being successful. Um I know I have to look at all of my friends, especially being in STEM, you know, it's it's hard for us out here. So we have to keep our heads So we gotta keep our heads down, honestly, in the books and work on it and just do take every avenue, do all you can to make your dreams come true. Um I've i've seen it happen you know we can make fortune 500 companies blossom we can do all this stuff and they honestly can't do it without us so stick to it whatever you got in your mind that you want to do continue on press forward because like i mean honestly i have hobbies i like doing music i, I love fashion and i love clothing and probably i'm going to use my engineering degree to break into that and you got to be creative like that because they don't see it coming Honestly, they don't see it coming. So get up on your money knowledge. Learn how to save. Learn how to invest. Do all these things that they don't want you to know. And stay on your toes. I'm telling you, stay on your toes.
0: That's so real.
1: And toxic. Being toxic ain't cool. It ain't. That's it. You niggas is easy. You can be happy. I promise you. I told you, you can be happy. I'm living it right now.
0: Look at him with a girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Living life.
1: Shout out, Jazz.
0: Shout out to you, Jasmine. And I want to remind you, niggas, don't be so easy y'all some slut bookies lord (laughs) have mercy thank you so much jonathan
1: (laughs) yeah no problem
0: and listeners thank you thank you guys so much for choosing to be Afrocentric today Mm -hmm. let's remember a few things black lives matter listen and protect black women and the only thing that you must do in this lifetime is be black and die remember we're just civilized people having civilized conversations Bye-bye.
2: Deuces. White rage is not about visible violence, but white rage is subtle. It is corrosive. It operates through the state legislatures, through Congress, through the judiciary through school boards. It cloaks itself in legalities. Because it's so quiet, it's so subtle, you don't see. And so I set out to blow graphite onto that fingerprint to be able to trace white rage throughout time to 2016. And one of the things that became clear to me as I started thinking through how white rage works, it became clear to me that the presence of black people was not the trigger for white rage. It is the presence of black people with ambition. The presence of black people with drive. The presence of black people with aspirations. The presence of black people who achieve. It's the presence of black people who refuse to accept their subjugation. The presence of black people who demand their rights. That's the trigger for white rage. And this society has therefore
1: punished black resilience and black resolve.